0: Good morning. It's good to see you. Glad you are here. Uh, We are wrapping up our series on the Bible today. This is our fourth week. Uh, Next week we're starting a new series called Toxic Theology, which actually I think they kind of all go in together very well um, I'd love to say we totally planned that, but we didn't, but it works really well, and God has a way of using us. So um, today, what we're going to do is we wrap up. We started kind of answering this question of what do we do with the Bible? What do we actually do with it? And uh, today, as we conclude the series, I think we're going to talk about the most, one of the most important things we can do with the Bible, like us today, uh, in our walk, in, in our journey of faith, is that we need to be people who understand the incredible importance of reading the Bible in context, of reading the Bible in its context. Now, here is the definition of context. This isn't my definition. This is a widely accepted definition for context, and it's this. It's the parts of a writing that immediately precede and follow a word or passage and clarify its meaning. So, for example, if I had three sentences and I'm really kind of zeroing in on the second sentence to try to understand it, then it's, if I'm going to read it in context, I at least need to read the first sentence and also the third sentence to help me understand the context that all of it is written in. Now, if this doesn't just hold to a sentence, but that's just an example. It could be a verse. It could be a passage. It could be an entire chapter of a Bible. But we, I want us to understand today the importance of reading Scripture in context. So here's a word picture for you to see how it's all connected. We never want to just pull a verse out on its own. Uh, a verse should never be disconnected from its surrounding verses. They're always connected to the other verses. Um, anyone in here ever been misquoted, misunderstood, and someone said, "Well, you said this," and you're like, "Yeah, but I also said this, this, and this." That's ever happened, right? This we don't want to do that with scripture. So the the verses should never be disconnected from. Each other, and then those verses connected create what we would call a passage, a passage of scripture. And then uh, a pa- the passages are connected, and what do they create? They create a chapter, and then those chapters connected create the book. And then, in, in every way, you could say that every single chapter, then, I mean, every single book is where we have our Bible. So, what you can't do when we're talking about context is you cannot pluck out a random verse or a single verse, I won't even say random, a single verse, you can't take it out of its surrounding context and be confident that you fully understand it. You've got to look at the context in which it was written. So, now, one of the ways that the Bible is taken out of context is by this term, proof texting. Proof texting, now, you see the word proof, and it seems really positive, um, but what proof texting is, it is pulling a verse out and trying to make a point with it that it had no intention of proving to begin with. Taking it out, stripping it down of all its context and saying, see, it's in the Bible. And proof texting happens all the time. There's a lot of verses that I was looking at and was, as I was working on this message. Um, and I was going to look at several. And I just kept coming back to this one. So we're going to be in First Timothy chapter 2 today. Um, But all those other verses, we're going to talk about, if if you're not listening to the podcast or you do listen to our podcast, the 167, it's under the Porch Community Church, um, I encourage you to check it out because there is so much that I would love to talk about today, but we just don't really have the time. And so I've got, um, I sent a message to uh, your kid's pastor, Kristen, this past week. I said, hey, heads up, Um, normally by the time I get up here on Sunday, I've got my message down to about four pages. And on Thursday, I was at nine and a half, <laughs> and she was like, "You're going to need to trim that down because she's got all the kids back in the kids <laughs> building." So it was her own self-preservation. She was like, "You need to, <laughs> you need to trim that." So, but anyway, I took a lot of those notes, and I've put them into what we're going to talk about in the podcast um, this coming week. So, um, as we, what we're going to do, and and this idea of proof texting is, is that. Taking a single verse, stripped of context, and then using it to make or uphold a point it was never intended to support. So we're going to walk through 1 Timothy chapter 2 today, a passage in that chapter, and it contains what I would say is the classic, all-time-high, taken-out-of-context, proof-text verse, and it's verse 12. It's the most frequently cited verse that's used to restrict or prohibit women From ministry and leadership in the church. In my 22 years of full-time ministry, I've never addressed this verse on a Sunday morning. Um, Not like because I shouldn't or couldn't, I just haven't. Talked about it in Bible studies and and even on the podcast, but never on Sunday morning. So today is the day. Um, You might be wondering about this verse. You might uh, have questions about this verse. If you tell people you go to the Porch Community Church, they might say, don't they have that lady pastor? Um, so now uh, we will talk about this verse today and maybe help you to understand this more. So um, here's what First Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 says. So we're talking about proof texting, taking it out of context. First Timothy 2:12 says, "I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet." Now, some take this verse out of context, and proof text it, and conclude women can never be in leadership, can never preach. It says so in the Bible, period, the end. It says what it says. So here's what I would love to do. And and by the way, I agree that it does say that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that that's what it says. It does. So I'm not denying that whatsoever. So here's what I want to do, though, because we're talking about proof texting and context. This isn't really a um, trying to prove a, a point on this particular matter, as much as we're looking at how does proof texting happen, How do we take scripture out of context? And, and how maybe am I misinterpreting some very well-known passages? So let's take the passage of 1 Timothy 2. Now when you come to a passage, again, that's one of those things that biblical scholars kind of, in most of your Bibles, there sometimes'll be a heading um, in, in sections that you're reading. It'll be like Paul's talking to the church about this or, you know, Paul's addressing this. It's it's agreed upon that it's kind of like an encapsulated idea or conversation, you know, where we might think about paragraphs when we're writing a paper. Um, This, you'll find with passages, it kind of has the idea right there in it. So the agreed upon passage for 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we're going to look at are verses 8 through 15. 8 through 15. Now, verse 12 is right there in that. And a lot of people want to pluck out verse 12 and not look at the surrounding verses. So here's what I want to do. If we take verse 12 and go, it says what it says. It it says what it says. Let's see if we apply that same treatment to verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, and 15. And let's see, are we applying that same it says what it says treatment to those other verses because, friends, if we're not, it is a very good indication that we are proof texting, that we are looking at scripture out of context. Okay? So beginning in verse 8, here we go. Let's see if we're doing any proof texting. Verse 8 says, this is Paul. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy is leading some churches in the city of Ephesus. There's one particular church that he's having some problems in. I know that information because I've done something called exegesis, which we're going to talk about in a minute. <laughs> Here's what Paul says to Timothy: Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now, if we take this verse out of context and do proof texting, and we just pluck this verse out, then what? And, and go, okay, let's make this verse stand on its own today in 2022. Some of you all, your response might be, certainly, this doesn't mean all men through all time, every time they pray, must lift up their hands. Right? Right? There's got to be more to this. That's a very good question. And see, we need to know context. Context is so important. We're going to look at the context in a moment. Let's walk through the verses. Verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So I put these two verses together because it was all one thought. If we take these two verses out of context, strip them of the surrounding context, right? and we try to make this stand on its own today, some of you might ask, well, certainly this doesn't mean that women can never, like for the rest of all time, wear gold or pearls or have their hair done. And in some of the versions, it doesn't say elaborate hairstyles, it says braided hair, so watch out, um, or wear nice clothes, right? Certainly, that's not what it means. There must be something more to this passage, and that's a great question. Context is very important. Verse 11, Paul writes, and a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I don't have time to go into it this morning. I'll go into it later on the podcast, but there's this whole thing in this passage of how Paul talks about women plural, and suddenly he's talking about a woman singular. Okay. I don't have time to go into that. I think it's just really interesting to note if you are someone who wants to understand context. So Paul says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Now, if we take this verse out of context, just pull it right out, just this sentence on its own, someone might say and ask the question, Certainly, this doesn't mean that women should never speak in church and be fully submissive. And there's only two ways that women can be submissive, and that is to their fathers or to their husbands. Husband, if you're married, father, if you're still unmarried. So it couldn't, certainly, this doesn't mean like for all time that this verse stands up on its own forever and ever. And and that's a very good question, so we need to understand context Now, we'll come back to verse 12. I want to look at the rest of the verses. So here's what verse 13 and 14 say. Again, this is one idea encapsulated in the two verses. And so Paul says this, writes this to Timothy. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, the question that I think most of us have by looking at this verse is, Why in the world is Paul just suddenly talking about Adam and Eve and deception and, like, the garden scenario, like, what's going on here? And that's a very good question. And that's why context is so very important, which we're going to look at in a moment. And then finally, verse 15, Paul writes, But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So if we take this verse out of context and we try to make it stand up on its own today, the question should be asked, certainly, this does not mean that the only way that women can be saved is by having a baby. But that's what it says. It says what it says. Certainly, there's got to be something more to this, because does that mean that women who can't have children or choose not to have children, that they can't be saved, right? There's got to be more to this. Context is so important. So let's go back to verse 12. I'll read it again. Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, if we take this verse out of context and strip it of everything around it and try to make it stand on its own today... Some might ask, did Paul mean that all women over all time can never teach or have authority? That's a very good question. And context is so important. It's so important. And I'll go ahead and say it. Even so, even though we have walked through the other verses, and and I don't, and I'm not downplaying scripture, there's a reason Paul wrote this. And, there was, and it was very important for it to be written at this time. It had a, a very important purpose. So I'm not downplaying these verses at all. But as we look at them on their own and we see them standing alone, each of them, some of them almost sound, I mean, I don't know if silly is the right word, definitely odd. If we tried to make some of those verses, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, and 15, stand on their own, you kind of go, What? Even though we understand that, and I think most of us agree with that, they all don't quite make sense. Even still, there are some who go, I don't know though, verse 12 seems pretty cut and dry. This one verse has been lifted out of context, proof-texted for so long that even though we see how the others need and depend on the other verses around them and depend on context Many still accept verse 12 on its own. Context is the most crucial element of biblical exegesis. You may have heard that word before. You might not. I didn't say exit Jesus or or anything about (laughs) Cheez-Its. Exegesis. And here's the definition of exegesis. Again, not my definition. This is a widely accepted one. Exegesis is what we've already been doing this morning, which is the critical interpretation of the biblical text to discover its intended meaning. So we when we read the Bible, we want to be people who accept everything in it, and we should, but we don't need to always be ready right off the bat to go, it says what it says. Like God gave us a brain. We need to understand the meaning. You know, one of, the, um, one of the, I don't know, hang-ups or hurdles, I guess, that some of us have, and I'm even, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, I have to remind myself a lot, is that we forget sometimes and we think that the Bible was written to us, like that you can read the Bible and go, this was written to me. And, and it wasn't. The Bible was not written to you. The Bible was written for you. The Bible has been kept and preserved and put together in canon. And it's here today for you, for the edification of the church, for building up the body of Christ, without a doubt. But it was not written to you. Every word in the Bible originally was written to a group of people for a purpose in a particular time in a culture, in a situation. It was written in that moment. And we've got to keep that in mind. It is still beneficial for us, but we need to understand that. And that's the whole thing about context that we're talking about today. So if we want to be people who go, all right, context is important. Got it. Oh, yeah, I don't want to to be guilty of proof texting. Certainly don't want to do that. So, all right, Shannon, there's this, there's this word, exegesis, so how do we critically interpret the text to understand what it really means? Well, I'm going to offer you three ways that we can begin to practice good biblical exegesis, right, to know what the meaning is. The first thing is what we've already also been doing this morning is this, is that you look at the surrounding verses. Never just take the text out and go, here it is. Look at the surrounding verses. And if those verses don't quite make sense, make, the circle, make that circle larger and read more around it and more around it until you feel like you have an understanding. Example, in verse 8 of 1 Timothy, the passage begins with the word, therefore. And anytime you see the word, therefore, you ask, what's it there for? So you go back you go back and go okay why did paul say therefore obviously he said something previously that's important to what he's saying now so you go back well in 1st timothy if you go back to chapter 1 what you find is that paul is writing to timothy because there are problems in the church There is heresy, there is false teaching that have to do with myths and genealogies and all these other things that are happening in the church, and Paul is writing to Timothy to instruct him to help him lead the church. This is why this is being written. It wasn't all the churches were having problems. Every single church that was ever going to occur was going to be dealing with myths and genealogies. This particular church in this city of Ephesus, where Timothy was overseeing, was having problems. And Paul was writing to him to help him with the church. So, we look at the surrounding verses. That was an example in verse 8. Now, the second thing we do to to practice good biblical exegesis is we look at who. Who? Who was writing this? who, Who it was written to? Like, what all was going on? Who is this for? Because remember, the Bible is not written to you. It's for you. But originally, it was written to somebody. Who was that? Who was it? To read the Bible in context means for us to understand that, those, that it was written to, uh, for us to know who those people were, what their culture was, when it was written. I, I will recommend to you a, very, a study Bible. Get a really good study Bible. There, there are a lot of them out there, but if it, I just recommend a really good study Bible because it gives you a lot of background and information that you don't have to go to a bunch of different sources to find. It's right there when you read the Scriptures, a good study Bible. I can recommend the Wesley Study Bible. It's very good. Um, I I use it often. Um, And then there's a couple of two free online sources um, that I use every single week, multiple times every week. Uh, The first one is the blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org, it got me through seminary. (laughs) Um, It is a fantastic... The the formatting's a little... It's kind of outdated, but the content's so good, it's worth it. Um, Blueletterbible.org, it gives you all the background on the languages, the Greek, the Hebrew, um, the root words, um, the understanding of them. You could look up a word in the original language in one verse and find out where that word was used in the whole rest of the Bible. I mean, it's amazing. So, blueletterbible.org, Or BibleGateway.com, I use that one all the time for um, like looking at different versions of scripture and, and comparisons like that. So those are just a couple of free resources online. But these are things that are there to help us to be people who are going, all right, I don't want to take something out of context. I don't want to be guilty of doing proof texting. I mean, I want to know what God has to say to me in the scriptures. So let's, let, I'm going to do some exegesis. I'm going to do some study. I'm going to arrive at the intended meaning, meaning of it. And I'll tell you, there have been some really, really, really smart people over thousands of years who have done incredible work that you can get your hands on and see how they have, what they have arrived at. But it doesn't excuse any of us from doing the same thing. Like, who wants to, do you just want to read the words that someone else wrote about what they think about the Bible? Or do you want to do the work? Do you want to dig deeper and see what is in there um, for God to, to, for him to speak to you? So, let's look at some, at who for a minute, right? Let's do some biblical exegesis with some of these verses and look at who. Um, Because I've done some digging and understand, Um, here's what I know about um, this, what was going on in Ephesus when Paul wrote this to Timothy. The life and the economy of Ephesus was totally and completely centered around the goddess Artemis, the goddess named Artemis. She was also known as Diana. The life and the economy of the city of Ephesus was completely centered around this. There was a temple in Ephesus, and it was the temple to Artemis. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was tremendous. It was huge. And I tried to think of an example to even help us understand what it meant for the life and the economy to be wrapped around something like that so intricately. And the best example I can give you, and it still falls way short, is that the life and the economy of Athens, Georgia, is surrounded around the University of Georgia. I could even go so far as to say that the life and the economy of Athens, Georgia is centered around the University of Georgia football team. Okay? And that is not even close to what it was like in Ephesus. But that just gives you an idea of how everything was centered around this, okay? So in this letter to Timothy, Paul is addressing Artemisian worship practices, things that were going on in the temple. Four and two, the goddess Artemis, and they were seeping into the church. When he writes in chapter one about these myths and genealogies and these false teachings, he's talking about what was going on in the Artemisian temple. And it was causing problems in the church. So this is the whole reason Paul is even writing this letter. And now... Um. Here we go. I'm. I'm gonna fly through some of this real quick. Um. But we'll go deeper. Um. Later in the podcast for sure. So here we go. Artemis was considered. She. She had a lot of roles. Um. She was considered the goddess of hunting and fighting. So Ephesian men who went to the temple to pray to Artemis, they prayed in a in a known posture and a stance. So they would go to her and pray if they were about to go on a hunt or if they were going to possibly be in battle. And they would go and they would in the, in the Artemisian temple, the men were, would stand with their hands right about waist level with their palms pointed to the sky. This is known. This is historical. This was found. These are, this is not something I made up or someone else has. This is what they know about worship in this temple in Ephesus at this time. So when Paul writes in verse 8 that the men in the Christian church are to lift holy hands, he was instructing the men to pray in a different posture than everyone knew how the men prayed in that temple. They wanted, Paul wanted, he was telling Timothy, you tell the men to lift those hands high so that they would be separate and different from how they were worshiping in the temple. Because they were trying to get out, they were trying to get rid of these, these practices that we're not Christian, that we're not lining up. So that was just the first one is lift those hands up high. That's what verse 8 means. Out of context, you're like, okay, guys, lift holy hands every time you pray. Well, now we understand why. All right? Ephesian women who prayed to Artemis, uh, it was a very female-driven, she's a female, she's a goddess, it was a very female-driven religion. And um, when the women would go to the temple to worship, they would wear these very expensive, elaborate, revealing clothing. And they wore all kinds of jewelry and it involved gold and pearls. And and they had their hair braided up all and, and all these things. And so Paul, what he's doing in verses 9 and 10 as he writes this is he is urging the women who are in the Christian church to dress differently than the women who were going to the temple. So dress modestly, he says, he wanted, he wanted to set them apart from the worshipers of Artemis. When Paul writes about Adam first and then Eve in verses 13 and 14, which you kind of go, where is this coming from? Kind of seems like out of nowhere a little bit. He is rebutting the false teaching that was going on with Artemis and even in other false religions. It was kind of a, a Gnostic a teaching that had been, that was filtering around everywhere. But he was, he was offering a rebuttal to the teaching that Eve actually came first and not Adam. And he was offering a rebuttal because this false teaching was, oh, well, since Eve ate the apple first, she understood good and evil first. So she is the one who um, is in first place. And it was Adam who was deceived and all, I mean, it, there's a whole background to that. It, it and so he, when he's writing, oh yeah, I do want to mention this part, um, that Eve was seen as the spirit who brought life to Adam and united with his soul. So it was just, it was all false, false stuff. None of that's in scripture. So, so you read that and you go, oh, okay. So Paul is writing about this, wanting to set the record straight. Artemis was also worshiped as the goddess who protected women in labor, That whole women are saved through childbearing. What? So when Paul writes this in verse 15, what he's saying is that women will not be saved because they bear a child. But what would happen is, is that pregnant women, I mean the mortality rate for babies and women was so high in the ancient world. Women would go to the temple go to, and, and they would worship Artemis. They would, they would offer uh, sacrifices to Artemis so that they would live and their child would live through childbirth. That they would survive. And Paul is saying, no, if you're in the church, ladies, y- y- Artemis doesn't save you. You don't pray to Artemis. You pray to Jesus. You pray to Jesus. He will be the one. You depend on him to be the one to save you through the process of childbearing. Not Artemis. Not a goddess. And this Artemisian female-driven false religion, pagan religion, had some influential women in it. Very influential. And some of them were now coming over to the church. Some of them were becoming Christians and they were in the church. Some of them had one foot in the temple and one foot in the church. We can relate to that. But they were used to the roles and, 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 and the ways that, that women functioned in the Artemisian temple. And here they are bringing them into the church. Now I mentioned the whole plural singular aspect of women and woman. It's very likely, and, and no one can prove this, that Paul was talking about a couple of women. That were high ups in the temple and came down. And they they derived that from the plural and singular understanding of how he addressed women and what women should do and not do. But in order to stop the heresy, which we know was happening, in verses 11 and 12, Paul is seeking to silence these women, so that the pagan practices that they knew and they were used to just flaunting and, and having that role and that position, he, he purposely was saying they need to be quiet, they need to listen, they need to learn the Christian faith. And I think every one of us learned in kindergarten, or we should have, unless your report card was like mine, which said Shannon does okay work when she's not visiting with her friends. Um, but but none of us listen when we're talking. Hang on, Yeah. And if we're not listening, we're not learning. He wanted them to be quiet. Okay, sure, you had a platform in the Artemisian temple, fine. But this is new. This is a new faith. You need to listen and learn. Listen and learn. So we know that we look at the surrounding verses to have good biblical exegesis. We need to look at who. We just did that. We understood now more what was going on and who, why Paul was writing what he wrote because of who he wrote it to. And then the third aspect of good biblical exegesis is we look at the larger narrative. Again, you can't just look at that one. You take the specific passage that you're reading. When you look at the larger narrative and you see how does that passage fit with the narrative of the entire chapter of that book. And if need be, you see how those chapters fit into the larger narrative of the book. That's what you do. You look at the larger narrative to avoid proof texting, to avoid looking at a passage out of context. You've got to look at the larger narrative. And just talking about verse 12, just addressing verse 12 here, the larger narrative in the New Testament under the new covenant of Jesus Christ is that women and men are equal. They share ministry, they share responsibilities. Jesus affirms women, Paul affirms women. They affirm women in leadership over and sometimes even over men in some cases, multiple times. Since Paul is the one that wrote this letter, I'll just mention a few of the things that Paul did. He repeatedly includes and affirms women. As leaders in ministry, he talks about women apostles. He talks about women who prophesied in worship. He talked about women evangelists. He talked about women teachers. He talked about women pastors of house churches, which was the only kind of church. So it wasn't like that was a side gig and they weren't really, no, that was the church. So they were women pastors of those churches. And he describes women deacons who were partners with him in ministry. And in all of those cases, he speaks about them positively. He affirms them. And so against the weight of the larger narrative of the New Testament, this one verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2 does not stand up to forbid women from pastoral leadership or authority over all time. It stands up in that one moment of time. That one moment of time. It stood up in that context. But not for all time. Let me say it like this in case some of you are still, you know, kind of grappling with it. Taking scripture out of context, this is what it would look like. Is to go, all right, 1 Timothy 2.12, women can never teach or lead or have authority. That verse is fine on its own. It's fine. It's fine. But all those other verses, just right around it, about jewelry and hairstyles, And how high men should raise their hands and women being saved by having babies. All that, Adam first, Eve first, all all of those verses, they need much more study, much more conversation, much more understanding of context. But verse 12, it's fine on its own. Context, friends, is not a pick and choose discipline. It can't be it cannot be. We cannot do that. And so if anyone would want to stand by verse 12 on its own, then you also have to stand by verse 8. So I would, I would challenge that for, for a, a, a Christian man who wanted to stand by verse 12 and say, it says what it says, then I would want to say, okay, sir, well, then, then your hands better be up high every time someone says, let us pray. We can't pick and choose. Paul's instructions were written in the context of what was happening in Ephesus. He was not writing a universal for all time command on how men should pray or if women can lead in the church. He wasn't. He was giving a particular context-based instruction to Timothy in order to address the issue of false pagan teaching infiltrating the church. Porch community, I'll ask the band to come back out as we kind of move into a time of, of, of singing together. Um, the point is this. We need to read the Bible in context. We need to read it in context. We need to look at the surrounding verses. We need to look at who. We need to look at the larger narrative. We need to look at the Bible and, and understand it and realize there is so much there for us to know and to understand. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. It is alive, it is active, it is sharp, and it will cut us right down to the core. And sometimes we need that. We need to understand that. We need the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We need the truth of what is written in the scriptures so that we can align ourselves with you. God, we need your word. And, Lord, above all else, I just pray that we are people who are hungry for your word and that there's a desire for us to be in it and to read it and to study it and to look and to go deeper into it. That we don't settle for what someone else has told us, the Bible says, that our dependence is on your Holy Spirit. To teach us, to inspire us, to lead us, to direct us as we read your holy word. Every word written for a purpose, every word written for a time, every word, so important to the building of your church. God, your word brings truth, it brings salvation, and I pray, God, that we are not content to be separated from it, that we hunger for it, we just can't get enough of your word. God, I thank you for the Bible. May it be life for us. Truth for us. We thank you for Jesus Christ. The one who brings it all together. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.